0: Welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. A burden of mine; it is my personal, you could say, conviction that's growing, uh, and God has really laid on my heart. In general, as we, as He said, we're church planting missionaries, um, which essentially says that we go and. Um, we try to give the gospel, but we're wanting to build churches and to to allow God to use the gospel to to shape local churches, and I want to just start with Ephesians 3, 8 through 11, where it's Paul says, and uh, if you want to, one of the books that gives probably one of the, the most complete theologies of the church, and you, and you don't have one place often where you get uh, the th- theology of something, but um, Ephesians has much to say about the local church. It teaches about what the church is and its purpose and the mystery of it. But Ephesians 3 7, let me just go 7 through 11 here. It says, Of this gospel, Paul said, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be known. And I just want to take that and and just think about it. Do you believe that through the church... God's wisdom and God's plan is being worked out. As a missionary church planner, I believe that God's primary plan in our age is to work in and through the local church. And I'm not, again, sure where you are, if you believe that at all, and what your your views of the church is. And most of the time, our our, our view of the church is, is shaped by our experience, right? Whether good, bad, whatever, we just tend to think of it um, from our experience. But what I wanna to do today is try to maybe shape it in the Bible, come back to the Bible, get kind of a refreshed view of the church, your local church. If we could, if I could just make this statement and you could finish it in your mind, the solution to the world's problems today is the what? How would you finish that? We could say the gospel, we could say Jesus Christ. Um, Hopefully you wouldn't say it's the government or politics, maybe you would. Um, or you know, economics, if you could just give people an economic uh, solution that would solve the world's problems. But as Christians and believers, fundamentally, we're, we're broken and we need Christ to, to give us a new heart. We need the gospel. We need to be made anew. And those would all be good answers. The solution to the world's problem is Jesus, the gospel. But would it be right to say the solution to the world's problems today is a biblical local church? because that would encompass all of those things, Bible teaching, the gospel, Christ. A friend of mine uh, in Joburg said that he felt led to work in a difficult area after hearing a sermon on how the church is the solution. And he worked in South Hills in, in uh, southern Joburg, which is a very, very hard area, depressed area. But after hearing a sermon on this, Because biblical local churches would give the solution to starting from the inside out, a changed heart, and then working it out in a local body of Christ. As we, we were ministering at New Hope Baptist Church in Primrose for about five, six years there, and we just came across many unbiblical views of the local church, and I won't go into all of them, but just it seemed to be very common to have little commitment or no commitment, no accountability, very little service to the church, and I would say very little growth in people's lives as they stand a bit al- aloof and detached. Um, the local church, someone wrote, once considered the center of our spiritual family that we love, encourage, and to whom we remain accountable, is now treated kind of like an extracurricular activity um, and is not central and an, an essential ingredient of the Christian life. Dale Crawford writes this. And we're just trying to get some of the reasons for our views of the church and sometimes our distorted views of the church. But in our postmodern generation, we are plagued by a low view of the church. Even pastors who give themselves to consistent expositional preaching find it difficult to impress upon the modern Christian a biblical view of the church. Most of us are fully indoctrinated by a high sense of individualism. In other words, we are motivated primarily about what how things affect us and we judge and it, we could say a commercial view of We go around and shop around for what meets our needs primarily. But at salvation, individualism loses ground to the concept of body. The Christian is a part of the body of Christ. The local church is a body of believers. Spiritual gifts are dispensed not for personal edification, but for what? The edification of the church, of the body. And membership in a local church is a covenant agreement whereby the individual pledges accountability to the body instead of asking, what can the church do for me? We should ask, what can I do to strengthen the church? That should be the biblical approach. But unfortunately, most church members today continue to operate strictly on the level of the individual. They join churches according to their needs and they leave without any regard for the well-being of their congregation. And he prays that God would grant us to see our church as our divinely appointed place of service that we may give ourselves fully to its health and prosperity, that God would would use us together to to bring Christ's plan into fruition, which is the mystery that Paul was revealing, and I believe is still working today, as we've come down through two thousand years and and arrive in George where the gospel has come and all over the world it's still working. May God grant us, He says, a biblical vision of His church and our place in His church. So. This is my growing conviction that a biblical view of your local church is a key for so many things. It's a key for your Christian growth and the growth of those sitting around you. And it's a key for many of God's blessings. So I I just want to, as we begin, I want to ask you, do you believe that? Do you have a deep conviction about that? Martin Lloyd-Jones said it like this, Our greatest need is to recapture the New Testament teaching concerning the church. If only we could see ourselves in terms of it, we would realize that we are the most privileged people on earth. There is nothing to be compared with being a Christian and a member of the body of Christ. Let's be honest, though. This is difficult to maintain this kind of viewpoint and have a biblical, just deep conviction about our local church. We settle into the way things are. We've all been disappointed. We've all experienced sin against us in the church we've been encouraged by believers but we've also been discouraged have we not and then we've some have had just atrocious stories about abuse or just bad churches and that just flavors and colors our our view of the church but by faith we need to believe what the bible says and i believe that the blessings will will follow as we take him at his word Megan Hill writes this, that we as God's people are to cherish the invisible realities of our life in Christ. Amen. The church has more beauty and more value than we can see with physical eyes. Though our congregations are made up of ordinary people engaged in predictable practices, we are an outpost of heaven itself. The church is the people of God, the dwelling place of the spirit and the fullness of Christ. No matter who you are this morning, learning to love the local church can become one of your greatest privileges and highest joys. The church is where we belong. Is there something inside of you that that just is rising up to, to say the spirit is is speaking to us through his word? This is truth. I need to get this. We need to get this because I believe this is what the Bible says. So I want to propose why you should, why we should love and commit to our local church. That's going to be the the topic. The danger with a topical sermon is that sometimes you can just kind of twist things. So I just I put it forth to you. Anything I say today, as we go and we go expositionally, topically, topically expositionally. But you you're open to say um, you're getting something wrong here, or uh, you're being idealistic, or unbiblical in some way, or or any any of that. It's again we're all subject to what the Bible says. Does the Bible teach? Uh, that we need to love and commit to our local church, and for what reasons. Now, when we say the church, we mean as a biblical church. There's lots of entities with the name church, but we are assuming that a church that is submitted to the word, under the word, a church that's led by biblical leadership, committed to teaching and discipling, and, and really fulfilling the great commission that Christ has given us, The church, if we could give a summary, and you you might be able to improve on this summary, but here's one summary of the church, biblically. The church is an assembly of biblical believers or disciples who come together in one locality for what reasons? For teaching sound doctrine, mutual edification, for worshiping our, our Savior and God, for prayers, for the ordinances, for the discipline of its members, and the proclamation of the gospel. Is that a good summary? It's described as a spiritual family of God, described as a living body. It's a temple, a building, a spiritual building, you could say, of Christ and God's priests. It's a community of people united in Christ. That, I believe, and and we don't have time to go through all of the the verses behind that, but that, I believe, is what the Bible teaches. This is the the local church. Do you love this creation of Christ, this entity, And, and why should we? Number one. Christ has a deep love for your church, so should you, so should you. And so we ask, what does Christ think of the church? What does he think about what we're doing here this morning? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he exists? Do you believe he's watching us right now and judging us and and looking down upon us today? Is he loving us? Does he care? What What is his attention fixed on today? Let me just give just a summary of some truths about the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and and you, and a local church today. Well, Jesus is the head of the church, the Bible says. The church is called the body of Christ. Jesus bought and redeemed the church with his blood. Imagine how precious it is to him. It is his church, Jesus' church. He's the architect, the builder, the owner of the church. In Matthew 16, 18, that famous verse, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So think about it. It's the only institution Jesus ever builds and promises to bless when he came to earth and could have done anything, anything at all. All he could have done, all he could have made, all he had the power to do. What did he do? He built one institution and that's the church. He chose to build the church. And so Jesus himself is building the church. He's doing it with people. I believe it began and it exploded at the day of Pentecost. In Acts 2, Peter preached, the Holy Spirit came. And then those who received his word were then baptized in water. And they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And the Lord added, says in verse 47 of Acts 2, added to the number that is the church, day by day, those who were being saved. So that's where it began, and it started to explode. And then how are we added to Christ's body? There's a spiritual sense here, the baptism of the Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 12, 12 describes it like this, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So many members, one body, and you're placed in the body at the moment of salvation, Verse 13 says, for in one spirit, we are all baptized or placed, plunged, immersed into one body. This is the spiritual placing in the body of Christ. Jews or Greeks, uh, whatever nationality you are, the moment you trust in this Lord Jesus, he places you in the body. Slaves are free and are all made to drink of one spirit. These people become members of the church at the moment of their salvation then they join locally with a group of believers and they make a profession of that symbolically through water baptism but then they become a local body of the body of Christ and this is I believe what the Bible teaches so in Ephesians 5 if you want to turn there with me Ephesians 5:25 through 31 we're just going to go over some of these verses, we don't have time to go through it in depth, but we're asking the question: What does Jesus think of your church? Well, Jesus loves the church and gave Himself for her. Ephesians five twenty five says: Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the, the what the church and did what He gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. And we're going to be asking the question. Is the church that Christ loves perfect yet? Okay, Because there's some people that seem to see if, if the church isn't perfect, I you know, I can bounce around till I find that perfect church. Well, that doesn't exist yet. Right now he's sanctified. He's in the process of, in all of us, sanctifying, changing us. And so does Christ love an imperfect church, yes or no? And I, and I think we're going to see that he does. And so even if your church isn't perfect, and to, please don't hold it to some unrealistic standard. Um, yes, there are biblical norms, but in when it comes down to it, I am still yet a sinner struggling with my old nature, but getting victory in Christ, but we are all in the process of sanctification. This is what Christ is doing now, sanctifying all of us and sanctifying your church. Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. That's, that's coming. That's coming, that, that perfect moment when we're all that we should be, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is an amazing passage, often preached at uh, weddings. And we have a window, though, here into the relationship of Christ and his church. He loves the church. That's his passion. And we need the same passion, right? And he gives himself for it. We need to also give ourselves for this, uh, this entity that Jesus loves to sacrifice for her. He's sanctifying and cleansing his church with the goal of presenting it without spot and holy. Verse 28, continuing, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So make sure you don't miss that. Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. That's that's amazing. And and, uh, don't Sometimes we, we skip over the teaching on the church in this passage. So, as Christ loves the church, who exactly is this church that he's so passionate about? Paul's going to bring it home to the local church that he's writing here in Ephesus. Who is he writing to? The church in Ephesus. Verse 30, We are the ones that he loves and cherishes. We are the members of his body in a A man is to love his wife, and and the the ultimate standard is Christ's love for his body, his church. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is is profound, and I am saying that it refers to what? Christ and the church. Which is he talking about? A man loving his wife, or is he talking about Christ and the church? Well, it's both. Um, There's obviously a huge application to what's happening in, in a family relationship, but the standard. And the doctrine we're getting here is what Christ's relationship is to the church. We are the ones he cherishes. We are the ones he nourishes, that he loves. And can we say this church this morning is the one that he loves and cherishes? Can we say that biblically? Do you believe this? This is huge. Like a husband who's just so taken by his wife, Christ loves his bride. He cherishes you here as his church. He cherishes each one of you as a member of his body. That's precious. But let's ask the, the, the normal question, really? Surely he isn't talking about like our church or imperfect churches with problems, right? He, does he really love imperfect churches that have problems? What about Corinth? Did he love Corinth, who was that fleshly church, but he called saints? And did, did, does Christ love them? What about in Revelation? As Christ is fixating in Revelations 2 and 3 on seven imperfect churches and he's encouraging them and he's judging them and sometimes correcting and sometimes just really bolstering them. But all in all, does he, did he love those churches? Even the, the church at Ephesus that he was threatening to take away the candlestick, that the, the light that he had given to them. Well, yes, he loves them. And even the Laodicean church, uh, which you would question, you know, the question is natural. Was that even a, a believing church? It seems like he was on the outside knocking on the door. But yet he says in Revelations 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So yes, as a church and and the leadership particularly, you need to be always asking. We we were always asking, are we pleasing to Christ? Is there anything we need to repent of that we're getting wrong? And and we're just always asking these questions so Christ can correct and purify us and, and shape us. Churches need to be asking these questions, but even with problems and sins and things to correct, he is passionate about you. He loves you. And you could say, and, and just all together, let's just conclude that because Christ loves your church, we should love our church as well. Christ does, even though it's imperfect. So the first point I just want to bring home, which I hope you believe, but let's get a conviction about it. Christ loves this church. So should we believe that. Secondly, loving and serving in your church is how you love and serve Christ. Do you believe that? Do you love Christ? Do you want to serve him? Where are you going to do this primarily? Well, we know that Christ identifies with his people, right? Um, When he says, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. It teaches us that what we do to God, God's people is what we do to God. And this is a brutal truth because uh, imagine all the sins we've committed against God because of how we we treat his people. But when Paul, Saul was persecuting the church and he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, he asks him the question. Jesus says, why are you persecuting who? Me. And Paul asked Saul at the time, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now the question is, why or how can he be persecuting Jesus? Jesus had returned to heaven. Well, he's telling Saul and he's telling us that what is done to his church, to his people, is done to him. It's done to him. In 1 Corinthians 8 says that when we sin against fellow believers, who do we really sin against? Christ. That, that should give us a little bit of pause on how we treat one another, right? 1 Corinthians 8:12, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against who? Christ. It's so easy to, to forget this because I'll be honest, when I usually sin against other Christians, they aren't very Christ-like. I'm going to have a reason and we say, well, uh, it was justified often. And we don't think of them as Christ, but we can't do this biblically. We have to, when we sin against them, we sin against Christ, even when they're sinful, even when they're wrong. Um, and so we need to really make sure that this is part of our thinking and have a conviction that when we sin against each other, we're sinning against Christ. But on the positive side, when we love and serve one another, who are we loving and serving? We're loving and serving Christ. Again, what you do unto the, these, the least of my brother, and you do unto me. Turn with me in f- to 1 John 4.20. I just want to make sure we, we get this point. Because I think it's just natural for us to, to forget this. 1, 1 John 4.20 says this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. What is this person trying to do? Well, he's trying to do what we all probably have done. And that is to separate God from, from his people. And we want to say, I love God. I love Jesus, but I, I don't love you. or I don't love his people. And does the, does the Bible allow us to do that? To, to kind of separate the two and say, I'm passionate about Jesus. I just can't stand his, his body. Well, he goes on to say, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. God will not allow us to separate our love for him from his people. Is, is, that, is that true? Is that, is that, am, I, am I off on this? Because I think we justify how we treat one another um, by doing that. But let's join him back together and, and realize that if we want to serve Christ, we do that primarily in his body, serving his church. And then as we serve one another in the church, it's evidence that we have been saved, that we have a new heart and our new creation in Christ. First John three fourteen says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brother, the brothers. And by the way, often as you read these verses, like the brothers, I think we it's not explicitly stated, but it's implied and it's just assumed and the norm is that it's in the local church. Am I right? When we talk about the brothers, I think it's just easy to say some vague if I encounter someone out on the street who happens to be a Christian. But the context is in the norm, your assembly of believers, we are to love them there. And that as we love them, even when they're on lovely at times, then we will know that this is an evidence that we have a new heart. When 1 John talks about assurance of salvation, but you know you're saved because you love God, you love his word, you love his people, even when it's hard. And that shows that that Christ is working in you and has given you that desire. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. And where? In the local church primarily, in our our family. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So here's my conclusion. Love for God's people is how we love Christ. Am, am, Am I right? Is that right? You and I cannot demonstrate love or joy, peace or patience, kindness or forgiveness sitting all by ourselves on an island. We demonstrate it when we join with a local assembly of imperfect believers and we love them as the body of Christ. Christ isn't here today, right? But he is here today. How? How is he here this morning? He's here in the members of his body. By faith. We need to see our local church as the actual body of Christ. We need to see the church as an opportunity to express our love for Christ. We need to care for fellow believers serving them as if we are serving Christ himself. I don't know if I'm off. I don't know. Am I, you can just say you're, you're, you're going too far. It doesn't really say that. But if it does say that, that, that can change so many things for us. Can we say this? Your love for others in the church reveals your love or lack of love for Jesus. Your commitment to love and serve your church is really a test to demonstrate your love and reverence for Christ. That is an uncomfortable statement because do we not all sometimes justify sinful interactions and say, well, I love Jesus, but I can't stand this brother or sister. Now, why do we love others in the church? What's the ultimate reason? Is it because of them? Is it because they are lovely, because they deserve it? That won't last. It's kind of like for marriage. You don't. Your, your commitment to one another can't ultimately be on the spouse's performance. It has to be deeper than that. It has to be rooted in God's divine command to have a sacrificial love. But we serve one another because of Christ. Do it for him. Do it as if you are serving him. And what's hard is that they're imperfect people. If they were perfect examples of Christ, it'd be easier, but they're not. And neither are you. And yet they still love you and they stick with you. And how many times have I sinned against others? And and yet I have a hard time enduring in my love for fellow believers. And yet that's what God calls us to do. And Jesus is saying to all of us, love this dear sister or brother. Do it for me. Do it for me. Do it as unto me. And this is a supernatural love. And this can only be in the context of someone who's regenerated and saved. So when the people we have committed to serving and loving, which is what you do when you join a church, when they give us good reasons not to love them, we love them anyway. Why? Because we love Jesus. Because we love Jesus. You should love your church because Jesus does. You should also love your church because you love and serve Jesus there. And thirdly, because Jesus serves and grows you there. We can say this, because your church is essential for your Christian growth. It's essential. It's a key. Ephesians 4, turn to Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. We need the local church in order to grow. Have you come to that conclusion? Do you need other believers to grow? There's a lot of, there are many people that don't, that haven't, Come to that conclusion. But it's true. And Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 just states some facts about what God is doing in the church. Ephesians 4, 11, he gave the the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Again, we, we, could, we could really take time here. We, we have to go over it a bit uh, in kind of the, the over, overfly, overview look of it. But to sum up these verses, Jesus gave us church leaders. For what purpose? For our growth and serving to equip us? Give Us knowledge, give us help us in unifying us for Christ likeness, for stability and discernment. Would you agree that's what these verses are teaching? So he gives us church leaders, but then he gives us also fellow church members as we continue on. Uh, and it says in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. Now, my question is, who is speaking the truth in love? If you go back to verse 14 when he talks about what the leaders are doing so that we're stable. He says, so that we, in verse 14, wouldn't be children. Rather than being blown about, we're stable. We, we have good doctrine embedded in us and given to us. And, and now we're discerning. And now we're starting to be equipped fo- to serve and to for the ministry. Instead of that, rather, we, the church members, are to speak the truth in love to one another. And then we are to grow up in every way. Who's growing? We are. Into what? It says, into him who is the head, into Christ. We are to grow up in every way together into Christ. So in the church, the leaders equip us. We begin to speak truth and love, and then we grow up into Christ, and we start to change to become like Christ together in the church. Am am I right? Does that happen in the context of the body of a local church? We together are to grow up into Christ And I just want to ask, can you grow in Christ apart from the church? There's probably nuances to the response on that, you know, and obviously there's certain unique situations where you're isolated or separated and so forth. But is that the normal Christian life to grow apart from other believers? It's not. The norm is that we would join and we would start to minister to one another and grow together. And again, this, this uh, idea of I love Jesus, and but I just, I can't stand the church. And We're sympathetic to people that have been hurt by church experiences, but it, it's not biblical. People that have very little or no commitment to the church, who reject the church, I believe this attitude is unbiblical. God's plan is for us to grow together. And we need to commit to God's plan for our growth and for others as well. Verse 16 continues. From whom? From Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you get the idea that it's it's something we do together? It's happening together because of Christ individually and together as a body, what he's doing. Christ is the glue and the supplier of our unified growth. It's all in him. In Christ, we're joined and held together. In Christ, each one of us supplies something important to the body's growth. The growth of the body relies on every believer's effective contribution. Is that that what that verse says? So we are to be a part of this. Do you you see this? Do you believe it? Do you have a deep conviction about this? Do you see your part in your church as vital to its growth? And And vice versa, do you see it? And it's part in your life as vital to your growth. Do you see this? And is, is that why you're here today? Is that why you are deeply committed to one another? I hope so, because by faith, we believe this is God's plan. Oh, but my church is full of, of imperfect people. Well, join the club. We are all in the process. We are all in, in the stage of sanctification. But this is God's plan, the mystery that Paul was revealing and is still functioning today. Lastly, my fourth point. When we love and serve the church, and if we are, are a healthy church, and we are sacrificing and, and loving uh, to serve Christ here, one another, when we do this, we give a powerful testimony to the world. In John 13, 34, and, and this is when Jesus washes the disciples' feet right before he's crucified. and uh, But again, this is about seven and a half weeks before Pentecost, Before the start of the church. So I think the context is he's looking forward to the church body and the age coming. In John 13, 34, these famous verses, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And I'm going to propose that it's implied that it's in the context of the church that he was building, was going to build. Okay, so you love one another where? In your church. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. What? How? If you love, if you have love for one another. So how are people going to primarily know you are a Christ follower? It's not just about what you say. It is important to say the, and give the gospel and to say what you are. But it is it in how you live and love each other? And that love is not the warm, fuzzy, you know, that fuzzy feeling at that, that, that oh, I just I have warm feelings for you. But what kind of love is he talking about? This is the first Corinthians 13, agape love, this self-sacrificing, self-giving, a hard love that puts others' interests first. This isn't natural, that lives for the good of someone else. It's that hard love that's patient and kind, and forgiving, that endures, that bears the burdens and weaknesses of others as you try to build them up and and vice versa. But when the world sees this very difficult, patient, committed, supernatural love among very different people that wouldn't normally be together, like Jew and Greek, and in the past they were separated, or, or all of the nationalities and races and, and all the different ethnic groups we have in South Africa, that they're in the, in the same church, and they see you shouldn't be together, but what's the glue? What's holding you? Why are you committed to one another? You have totally different interests. When they see, though, that someone is Giving and sacrificing and enduring among themselves, they're going to notice that this is a supernatural thing that's going on. Um, it is it is a testimony to the power of the gospel. This is the mystery of God that He is operating in our age, in the church age, if you would. And they will know that we are truly disciples of Jesus. Do you love your church? Do you value it biblically? Are you committed to you, to it, rather? And and I, I just ask, am I getting any of this wrong? Does the Bible teach that, number one, Christ loves an imperfect church, your imperfect church? Does he love your imperfect church? Yes or no? I believe he does, very clearly. So then should we. Secondly, loving and serving in your church is how you love and serve Christ. Thirdly, your local church is essential for your Christian growth. It's how Christ ministers to you and grows you. And then lastly, when we do this and we're faithful, by, by and by faith we commit and, and serve and endure in our commitment to one another, when we love and serve the church, we give a powerful testimony to the world. Carl Vaders writes this, I think we undervalue the church in the same way we undervalue the Bible. The church of Jesus Christ has extraordinary, literally miraculous power, but we often treat the awesomeness of the church like a job, a duty, or an embarrassment. Then we wonder where the power and the joy disappeared to. Never again, not for me anyway. From now on, I plan to see the church how God sees her, starting with this verse. His intent, Ephesians 3.10, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Through the church, through you and me, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, working in and then through us, God has chosen to make his wisdom known to the world. Serving the church and serving Jesus through her is the greatest honor I will ever know. Let me repeat what he says. Serving the church and serving Jesus through her is the greatest honor I will ever know. I don't think you could say that. You could write that without a deep biblical conviction. I believe that comes from the scripture. And I believe that very few people have that conviction. And my my dream, my vision is obviously in our church where we were and, and our, our vision for church planting is that we would communicate. And imagine having a whole group of people that can say that. Can you say in your heart, serving the church and serving Jesus through her is the greatest honor I will ever no. Will you honestly look at what Jesus says about his church? Will you cherish and love and serve him as you serve each other in your church? Because when you love and serve in your church, you love and serve who? Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you just take this, this weak effort, and it's such a vast and deep topic, but I believe it's biblical. I believe it's true. Uh, you've laid it on my heart. You've, you've helped me to see things that I've, I've never really seen or I've never really believe deeply before, Lord, and I believe this with all my heart, Lord, that you are doing a miraculous work through imperfect people and imperfect churches, but it is through imperfect churches as we strive to be what we should be, as we help one another grow, as we look to Christ and and live for him and under his His lordship, Father, that you would do a miracle and that you would shine forth the power of the gospel, not just the words of it, but the transformative uh, effects of a group of people with hearts made humble and tender and changed by the Spirit of God, Lord, that they would begin to sacrificially serve one another, sacrificially give, sacrificially love, and Lord, that the world in seeing this this diverse group of people that shouldn't be together normally, but there's something going on in their hearts and together, Lord, that they would see the power of the gospel and the wisdom that you have chosen to show forth through uh, local churches. Thank you for this church. Thank you for what you've done here. I pray that you'd build it and strengthen it, Lord, that it would go forth uh, in power and in might. Whatever needs to be purified and strengthened, Lord, that you would just do the work. But, Lord, ultimately that we, by faith, would believe what you said in your word and that we would love and cherish and commit to our local church. In Jesus' name, amen.